Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. The Spirit of the Lord speaks spiritual words to man. The place of reception, encoding, and understanding is with the mind of the Spirit. When those words are received there, the original design of man's trinal nature is this. Um, revelation or words from heaven, words from God, from the unseen, are received in his spirit. He then instructs or dictates to the mind of his soul to follow blindly whatever was received in the realm of his spirit. So that in the body, an obedient action or work could be done that is almost natural. It's effortless. There was like a spontaneity that God expected of all three parts to work in perfect harmony, in perfect synchrony. God speaks to the spirit, the spirit speaks to the soul, and in the man's body, obedience would be the result. Everyone say spirit to spirit. So spirit, Holy Spirit, capital S, communes with the small cases, spirit, the spirit in man. God would come to Adam in the Bible says, and the Lord, Adam heard the sound, which is the Greek word or the Hebrew word call, Q-O-L. Adam heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, right? Call is the utterance of a voice, literally interpreted, right? So it says Adam heard the, the Lord God walking in the garden. doesn't mean that he heard footsteps, not the sound of, footsteps walking in the garden. Adam heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. The word sound there is call, which means the utterance of a voice. What Adam heard coming into a physical environment from the realm of the unseen was a voice. That gives us a clue. Whenever something from the unseen wants to enter the realm of the seen, it comes riding as a voice. It comes riding in Words. So words are the container of spirit. Spirit wants to come in. So Jesus says the words I speak are, are spirit and they are our life. Adam heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And that was Adam's dependence. From his spirit, he always depended upon hearing a word. Right? He, he was dependent, his spirit was dependent upon the spirit of the Lord And there was this constant reliance that he had upon the Lord until the temptation. And so the devil said, did not the Lord God, the Lord God, had not the Lord God said, the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Behold, you will not die. Right? Eve saw that the tree was good for food, a tree to make one wise. She desired it. Okay, so you see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in operation. And she took Right? And the Bible says, as she took and she ate of it, behold, the eyes, her eyes were open. But what eyes were open? Because the Bible says she saw the tree. Then she says, it says, she took of its fruit and she ate and their eyes were open. So the natural eyes were always open. 
But the eye of the soul became open, listen carefully, when Adam chose in his spirit to doubt the voice. The voice said, don't eat. Right? So when you walk independently of the voice, you choose then to leave the spirit platform as the basis of operation from which you function. And then you, you, you live in the soul realm, and so you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and, and evil, and you become your own man, your own deciding factor. You, you determine what's right and wrong, whether I must obey or whether I must not obey. And the platform of operation became the soul. That is dangerous because sukikos, soul, is the natural man. Right? So the natural man is the soulish man, operates from his soul, totally disconnected from the voice of God that should enlighten his spirit. Not so? So Adam then became a living soul, Paul would say. Right? A living soul. The problem is, when you function in life like that, independent of a voice in your spirit, you become your own God. And you are left to your own vices. So in the book of Judges, each, in the days when the judges ruled, there was no king. And each one decides what's right and wrong. Each one does what's right in his own eyes. Why? There is no voice um, as the guiding factor. Right? There's no voice as the guiding factor in one's spirit to determine um, um, and also influence and lead the soul into accurate operation as in, expressed in terms of obedience in your body. So you become a natural man. The natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. Why? Two reasons. You should know them by now. Because they are? It says he cannot accept them because they are foolishness unto him. Then he cannot understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually appraised. So you can't in a soul natural environment start to estimate, appraise, or examine spiritual words from the domain of the unseen when your basis of the, of, or your, the instrumentation that you're using cannot measure that variable. Remember we said you cannot measure barometer to measure temperature. Right? Thermometers measure temperature. Spiritual words are coming from the, the realm of the unseen and you're using the fallenness of your soul, and listen carefully, the, 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 the natural man works independently of a word-illuminated spirit and is largely influenced by his context, his environment. Right? So he becomes a creature of context. Cultural norms, worldly standards start to impact and influence the mind of this man. So Peter demonstrates for us when the Lord said, Who do men say I am? He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. That is a description of a spiritual man that can know spiritual things. With his spirit, information hit his spirit, the mind of his spirit. He was able to assess the identity of Jesus accurately. Right? But in the next breath of his, when Jesus said he must die, what happens? Peter rebukes him and says, You cannot die. So Jesus commends him for receiving revelation from the Father. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you. But when you leave the spirit man and now uh, the spirit platform and Peter starts to operate from the basis of his soul, when Jesus said, I must die, what does he say to Jesus? You shall not surely die. You can't die. 
Now what does Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me who? Satan, because you are an offense unto me. I commend you for receiving revelation from the Father, but in your this all happening in one conversation, a man can slip from spiritual man into natural man. And Jesus said this to him, um, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you are an offense unto me, for you mind, you've set your mind on things not be of God, but that the things that be of men. And what was the things that be of men in that context? They were hoping for a political Messiah to deliver them from Roman oppression. So yeah, this guy says, Jesus says, I'm going to die. Peter's thinking like a man. So worldly, natural environment subtly influences train of thought. Okay? <clears throat> and then last week we said, we started speaking about carnality. Remember? So now think about this. The spiritual man's spirit is totally enlivened, illumined, in contact with God. Right? Praising spiritual things, accepting them, doesn't regard them as foolish, can understand them because he has the ability to appraise them spiritually. The natural man cannot do that. Right? Um, now, we started discussing sarkikos, remember? The, the fleshly or the carnal man. The fleshly or carnal man, the sarkikos, because of this disconnect from God in his spirit, this is like for me a progressive degeneration of mankind. From spiritual man to natural to carnal, right? There's a progressive degeneration. Now, the carnal man, the scripture indicates, is obsessed by the, the fallenness of his soul. And he's prone to fleshly vices. He gives vent or he's accommodative of every kind of fleshly sin in his life without any desire to repent of them. To such a degree where it becomes habitual, it becomes entrenched, it will become a characteristic of his way of life. Okay? Um, and we're going to continue that discussion this evening. The point I want to make is this. Carnality, the carnal man is obsessed by the flesh and the satisfaction of the desires of the flesh. That has a negative impact upon the state of his soul. In this respect. Because he's given over to fleshly pursuits. Fleshly pursuits, the Bible says, war against the soul. Right? Lot was inaccurately positioned towards Sodom. And the Bible says... By what he saw and what he heard, the soul of righteous Lot was vexed or tormented by what he exposed himself to in the flesh. So for me, the flesh, fleshly obsession, disempowers the soul, erodes its ability, or even the inclination for it then to submit to the spirit. Okay, now you've got to see this. Your spirit, soul, body. In your body, you give in to fleshly appetites. That has an adverse effect upon the soul. Already the natural man 
is disconnected from the leading of the Lord in his spirit. Now, still to go fleshly, what you are progressively doing, you are draining whatever inclination is in your soul to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit in your spirit. You are disempowering the soul further and weakening it, draining it of its place and function in man. Now, that is dangerous, and you will see the danger of it um, more tonight and also on Sunday as we, as we continue this. But remember, we studied Lot, right? So Lot was inaccurately positioned towards Sodom. And the Bible says, by what he saw, now listen carefully, that is why we always make this statement, that the soul's function finds expression through your five senses, Right? Your soul is always impacted through the sensual aspect of man. So the two things. The Bible says, just to two gates, there are five gates, five senses. To two gates, the eye gate and the ear gate, Lot was adversely affected. The Bible says, from what he saw of the lawless deeds of Sodom and from what he heard of them, the Bible says the righteous soul of Lot was in torment. I can only imagine the torment that Lot subjected himself to by a foolish decision. Right? Everyone say torment. The Greek word is, uh, implies vexation or torture. Right? And torture is a very bad thing generally. Right? Painful. Um, I imagine Lot having sleepless nights. I imagine him not being able to function normally in life. I imagine him living in regret. Why did I leave Abraham? What brought me to this place? Why did I leave? What does Abraham represent? The voice. The father's voice. So now, here is Lot. His spirit is receiving no light because there's no voice. His soul is in the middle of no word in his spirit. And a fleshly environment... It's totally antagonistic to God. Hostile. The Bible says the mindset on the flesh is at enmity with God or it's hostile toward God. Cannot receive the, uh, the law of God. It says Romans 8, neither is it able to. So he's like in a no-win situation. I always say, at least if you're struggling in the flesh, position yourself under the voice at least so you can have some hope of grace coming to you that's able to empower you to overcome the flesh. What saddens me is when I see people, which I know in my spirit prophetically, by the spirit, struggling with issues of the flesh, and yet positioning themselves outside of a voice that's designed to bring grace to your spirit, that's designed to empower you eh, to, to overcome. Remember Paul, Galatians 6.18, 2 Timothy 4.22, and Philemon 1 verse 25, in three epistles, right? Galatians, Timothy, and Philemon. Galatians 6, 18, 2 Timothy 4, 22, Philemon 1, 25. Paul's valedictions of grace was what? Right? His valediction, a valediction is a formal way of saying, signing off a letter. Salutation is opening the letter. Valediction is closing the letter. In his salutations, he always says grace, to you, 
in his valediction in those three epistles, he says, grace be with your, be with your spirit. Not grace be with your soul. Not grace be with your body. He says specifically, grace be with your spirit. How does grace come into the spirit? Grace comes by the word of the Lord. That word is light illumining your spirit that should empower your soul. Right? Lead your soul. But in the absence of the reception of grace, you are left without hope. Okay? To overcome carnality. I'll discuss later if we get to it how grace is one of the keys to overcome the, the carnal nature. Okay? So we're all on the same page. Okay? It took a long time to recap. Okay? But uh, just to, to frame the context so we know where we are going. It just in also in to continue the review, look on page 1. I want to rehearse from 1 Corinthians 3 what carnality represents. Because I'm going to use the term broadly as we continue speaking. But I don't want you, whenever I say carnal or flesh, most of you will think of a sexual sin. Most of you. It, that's, that's just one expression of carnality. Carnality refers to any kind of lust. And lust generally is not specifically a sexually related term. Right? The term just means desire. Right? Um, you could be carnal if you have ungodly ambition, for example, to, um, like Absalom, Absalom's ambition to, to, to unseat David off the throne was carnal. It was an obsessive desire he had, right? carnality at work. And so, carnality is a very, very broad topic. But just in succinct summary, here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, remember Paul, we, we read this two sessions ago, so I'm not going to reread the scripture. But uh, carnality refers to unchecked sin and unbridled fleshly lust. Unchecked and unbridled fleshly lust. The state, secondly, the state where Spiritual infancy is a preferred condition. Right? So if you are if you are in a place of inertia in spiritual infancy with no desire to proceed toward maturity, publicly you are carnal. Publicly um, you're described as carnal. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells you that, and Hebrews 5 also will tell you that. Okay? Then we also said <coughs> conditions of strife. Everyone say strife. Jealousy. Come on, say it louder. Jealousy. Say division. Say relational tension. And breakdown is equal to carnality. So don't only think of overt sexual sin. So, uh, or, or, or let's say somebody strongly with a, an addictive habit, maybe for alcohol or the smoking of cigarettes or something of that nature. We say the, the guy is fleshly or, or the person is carnal. That's just one expression. right? But if there is the following, if there's strife, covetousness, jealousy, division, or any kind of relational tension, you can't get relational harmony with somebody, then 
Biblically, you are carnal. Then, fourthly, it is any kind of sectarianism, schismatic tribalism, based on loyalty to different spiritual fathers or grace carriers to the degree where it becomes divisive, that is carnal. Right? Paul would say to the Corinthians, why are you saying some, I am of Paul, others are saying I'm of Paulus, others are saying, no, I'm in Peter's um, apostolic network. Peter's my father. Some are saying Paul's my father. Right? And that, that loyalty to a particular grace carrier becomes so entrenched, it actually becomes divisive to the broader body of Christ. Right? That, for me, is a carnal, carnality at work in the body of Christ. You, you are the most pure person. Can't fault you in terms of your personal purity. You're upright, morally, principally. But if you're sectarian in your mindset, so loyal to one person, that you don't embrace the, the general oneness, the bigger oneness of the corporate body of Christ outside of your specific sphere, right? then you are carnal. Every negative um, result of carnality attendant with the flesh will also be attendant with you. So, look at it carefully. Go right down to the bottom of the page. The carnal men deliberately set their minds on things of the... Everyone say the flesh. Now, you must get this right. The flesh is the flesh. So, even in sectarian, tribalistic sectarianism, I'm of Apostle Thamo Naidu. I'm of Apostle Franz Duplessis. The other guy is saying, no, I'm in Siggy's camp. Um, no, that guy is my father. And the other one is saying, that's fine. We all have our spiritual fathers to whom we relate. But although they are custodians of our souls in, that specific, in their specific jurisdictions, um, that loyalty to that specific father must not become so entrenched that I cannot embrace Dr. Segi and his sons and express my love for the body at that level. That is why I go to the forums across, across networks, so to speak. Why? Remember we said it's not the local church anymore, it's the temple right? that God is building. But also your particular household to whom you relate that is headed by a specific spiritual father that has multiple families can become a locality in a sense. Right? And, and that, become, that can become divisive. Everyone say flesh. No, say flesh. This is the flesh. Loyalty is there, but if it becomes divisive, then we are all in the flesh. No one is sinning outright, but it's an attitude that hurts the, the heart of God when he sees his body like that. And, and, and Paul would say, you are yet carnal when this is the case. Okay? You are yet carnal. So the carnal mind, the carnal man, sets his mind on things of the flesh. And in Romans, it indicates the following. Carnal mind that is set on the flesh leads to death. This is Romans 8, verse 6a. Uh, verse 7a says, it is hostile towards God. Right? King James uses a strong word, enmity. You are at war with God when, when you operate like this. Thirdly, it does not subject itself to the word of the Lord. Fourthly, it's not even able to. Romans 8, 7. And... 
Romans 8, 8, it says, They that are in the flesh cannot do what? Cannot please God. Now how does faith come? And the Bible says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. The mindset on the flesh, listen carefully, negates the reception of word that is able to produce faith, that is able to please, that is able to please God. Just stay on page one, just quickly before we go on to page two. In the middle of the page, while I've said that things like fleshly lust, spiritual influency as a preferred condition, strife, jealousy, division, relational tension, and sectarianism and schismatic tribalism are all indications of carnality. A verse for me that, that sort of with a broad brush defines who the carnal person is, is 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17. It says, do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone does not love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See this verse that. Tell your neighbor, do not love the world. Now by the world here, we are referring to the system of the world. Okay, Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, um, be not... I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Your bodies, a holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world. So this world is always wanting you to conform to its standards. And the, the consistent encouragement or exhortation in Scripture is, do not allow that. You know why? Because then you're going to operate like a natural man. Context, environment is going to press in upon you. Right? And you will say yes to same-sex marriage. You will say yes to gays. Yes to, why? Pressure from the, your environment is bringing, is, is being brought to bear upon you to opt for its way of life. Other versions of this scripture says to not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. Right? But do not let the world, do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed by, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. There's the will of God and there's the conformity to the world. Right? So this is tension we always have um, in the world. Are we going to conform to its dictates or are we going to live by the word of God and the and by the by the will of the Lord? So do not love the world, it says. Also do not love the things that are in the world. Right? It, it still troubles me how that for many people, um, even some people in our own house, I don't see a word obsession yet. For some, they're taken off like, they're flying. You just see them, it spews out. I look at everything about the person, it's just word, 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 word. And for others, I see total absence of word. And it's seriously trouble. You know why? If there's no word, if you're giving yourself to, to um, and your time, and, and you can devote your time to a thing of the world, and, and it doesn't bother you that words from heaven 
You're not giving place to in terms of your time management. Guess what? The nature you feed is the nature that's going to predominate. Right? So, um, I look for every spare moment to soak myself in, in the word of the Lord, consistently. Because the word, like we read in Acts, the church at Ephesians, the word of God must grow and must spread. It must multiply. The only way that's going to happen is we, if we develop word people. Otherwise, naturalness and carnality will forever be problems that are going to plague the church. Right? We want spiritual results. We want spiritual, prob- we want spiritual responses. But we're not feeding the spirit man the right diet. Okay? We're not feeding him consistently the right, with the right diet. Um, and so it's important. You know, for example, just take the body. Uh, people are obsessed with their bodies today. Um, you'll spend, I also train, so I spend some time in the gym, and I see the obsession, and I see uh, some people will spend hours in one week working on something that will pass away. You must work on it to a degree, but rather give you more time allocation to that which is eternal, right? That which will never pass away, right? I see how some people will give long periods of time to um, indulgement with sports of, of some kind, either by entertainment or active involvement. And yet I don't see a commensurate um, soaking in of word culture. Right? That for me is, I would declare, a state of emergency in the church. Something's drastically wrong. Otherwise we're all going to operate as natural, stroke carnal, or we're going to be operating as, as, as spiritual beings. So we have to have to get these things right. And do you know if we don't, no problem. God has got all the time in the world. Because he lives in timelessness. There was no problem for God to kill a whole generation in the wilderness and to wait 40 years. There's no problem for him. Whenever one generation doesn't fulfill the mandate, God simply waits for another generation that will live up to these expectations. Right? And so I don't want to postpone the manifestation of these things to some future time. These verses are very serious. Do not love the world. The world has got a whole lot of things that is pulling and vying for your attention. The Bible says, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There is no great revelation here. As you see it, is, is, it is what it is. You love the world, I'm sorry, God's love doesn't reside in you. Very basic, very, very simple, right? For all that is in the world, then it uses the terms, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, like I said, lust is fervent desire, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. This is not from the Father. But it's in the, it's from the world. The world is passing away. Please just tell your neighbor and remind them, tell them, seriously, the world is passing away. Well, the thing that you're giving, the thing that you're giving your greatest time to is not going to be here forever. It's going to pass away. It's temporary in, in, in nature. Right? The world is passing away and the lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. 
The one who does the will of God lives forever. I want to be, my desire is to be part of that generation that breaks the bubble of mortality. I want to develop such a strong spirit. A spirit, listen carefully, the, 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 the intent is this. Develop such a strong spirit by word that your soul um, follows the dictate of your spirit volitionally, willingly, without protest or rebellion. There's not even an inclination within your soul to rebel against what you're leading it into. That's the preferred state that we want to be in. That's the state that Adam was in before the sin. The soul would blindly follow the, the spirit. The whole process of salvation now is the renewing and the renewal of the soul. That's how transformation comes as the soul is renewed. Then we have this dirt suit, this problem called flesh. And Paul discusses it. He says, we wait. Our ardent desire is the redemption of this body where mortality suddenly stops. Corruption, decay in a physical sense, even, the, even on a physical, purely natural level, the, the, the natural aging processes will stop. Why? What, what's going what's gonna to bring the body? It's when, it's when a fully matured spirit is able to dominate, dictate to, influence and configure the soul so that, in essence, the soul and spirit become one in a sense. And there's no disharmony or disunity in the man. Those two elements in him are one. The word of God is quick. Hebrews 4.12, sharp, powerful, and a two-edged sword is able to divide asunder soul and spirit. The soul and spirit must be so tight, only the word of God must be able to divide it. Right? It's a discern of the, of the intents of the heart of man. I believe, you know, that's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the mind of the soul. When the renewal process is fully complete, transformation will be fully complete. The body will have no option but to follow suit. Then it's like everything in the man is pressing towards, now let, it, let this transformation, renewal process even manifest in a changed, immortal, glorified body. Right? Dr. Segi is doing the series now at uh, his forum. He's calling it Zoe Life. Very powerful. I was there on Thursday as well. Powerful, powerful session. He's convinced the life, everyone say eternal life. Life there is not bios, Greek. Not physical life. Life there is Zoe, Z-O-E. The life of God. Jesus demonstrated that life when he walked for 33 years on the planet. Right? Jesus was not sick not one day. Just like he explains, he didn't get up one day and say, sorry chaps, we have to cancel that expedition because I got the flu today. Jesus, his spirit was so at one with the spirit of his father. Right? Remember 1 Corinthians 6 says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Everyone say one spirit. So it's, it's so, uh, Jesus demonstrated the fact that the life of God 
is so um, pulsating and filling the whole fabric of his spirit. He's able to bring his soul in check, even at the point of the cross when he says, my soul is grievously vexed unto death. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Consistently, the soul is following the dictates of the, of the spirit. Right? And ultimately, he, he, he obeyed the climax of the Father's will for his life, the cross, and he's raised with a glorified, immortalized body. Right? And so, um, Dr. Sigi said to us, it is possible to have a life in God. Zoe life is above bacterial life. It's above viral viruses. It's above viral life. It knows no limitations or, or, or bounds. Who, who was teleported in the book of Acts again? Teleported. What do you call that process? Is it Philip the Evangelist? Was it Philip? Translocated. Just in one moment, he was here now. In the next breath, he was in a vastly different location. What do you call that? I'm telling you, that is where we are going towards. And what I'm doing, I know we're getting a slight detour here. We are heading towards that kind of experience in God. And all of these things, uh, a rebellious soul, uh, a body given over to the flesh, is fighting all of these things. Right? And we must see it in context. I want to challenge you. Live right just for one month and see the difference. Live a holy life in your thought life, in, in your external life. Be holy in all of your ambitions. Full, spend more time than you normally. Just try it. Tell you never try this for one month. Just sacrifice some things that the world constantly says, love not the world, neither the things in the world. Just leave those things and try and replace them with more word. And live a circumspect life. Watch what you watch. Watch what you allow in your ears and what you... Allow before your sight, through all of your gates. Pursue God, love the brethren. All the, all the indications of carnality here. Avoid fleshly lust. Avoid jealousy, covetousness. Re avoid relational tension at all costs. Love, let love predominate at every single level. Avoid schismatic tribalism. Avoid spiritual infancy or dormancy. Strive every day, I'm growing in God. And just see in one month how vastly different what I'm discovering is my sense of awareness is heightened. I'm beginning to know things uh, by, yes, the gifts of the Spirit, Word of Knowledge, etc. But you know what I put it down to? It's simply because of this devotion. I want to, I have my eye on an end. Right? I, aren't you sick and tired of walking like a man? Like a normal human being. We're supposed to have a vastly superior life. We're calling it Zoe life, the eternal life. But eternal life is conditional upon a spirit in man that is restored to its proper fullness and, and function. The soul in its proper place and the, the fleshly pursuits and allurements of the body are held in check and are ruled over. The Bible says, Paul says, by the spirit mortify or put to death the, the deeds of the flesh or the body. Right? When that is in place, let me tell you, you will be unstoppable. 
The enemy will have no legal grounds to stop your prosperity, to stop your well-being, to stop anything. I think many people are even struggling in terms of economic prosperity because of these, some of these very things. But just, just start to put, Dhamma always says to us, it's simply about positioning yourself and the heavens open. What I'm laying out for you is simply position yourselves correctly and you will see the heavens open upon you in uncanny ways. God will bless you. God might test you for a while to check what's really in your heart and permit some need. But the point is, need must not become a characteristic feature of your life. Right? God is not the problem, definitely. Tell your neighbor, whatever's happening with me, God is not the problem. So who does that leave? <laughs> who does that leave? Okay, on page two. I know we went a bit slow, I don't know why, but just felt the, the burden of the Lord to share with you. If I give you a key, and I'll, I'll probably talk to this on, on, on Sunday if we get there in time. I've been focusing a lot uh, now in this week. I don't have it in the note. It'll be in the next note. So I'm not sure we'll get to it by Sunday, depending on how we go this evening with this. Um, Third John, I wish above all things, brothers, that you prosper and that you be in good health, even as what? Even as your? The prosperity of the soul is the key to, pros to prosper in every other domain. We've, we've often neglected scriptures like this because the prosperity guys took it and they abused the scriptures. Right? But we're going to talk about it in biblical context. It's true, I really believe, even your material prosperity will be affected by the state of the well-being of your soul life. Right? And so we, we're going to get the soul restored. Amen? He restoreth my soul. And I'm convinced the more I get restored in my mind, my will, and my emotions, the more I bring it in check, the more my responses are godly to everyone. I've been sharing with Renee and Jules how consistently, almost weekly now, the key, and I've taught this, the key to our economic prosperity is relationships. I've taught it in Genesis 13, remember? The slaughter of, of Chedaloma. Why did Abraham come back with the, with the spoil? Why? Why did he attack those, those alliance of kings? To rescue? To rescue a brother that left him because of tension. The tension wasn't even theirs. It was between their respective herdsmen. I go and rescue this brother and I even put my destiny on the line. Why? My whole mindset is so prioritized on the, the preservation of God, of, of, of relationships. Right? And the more I'm doing it, I, I've been contacting people, Renee knows, Jules knows, I've been phoning people virtually almost daily, telephoning people. What am I doing? All my relationships I want to be intact. I don't want God to say, I'm holding your prosperity because in your soul I can still see bitterness, unforgiveness about that person, about that issue. Right? I can honestly say, I say this confidently before the Lord. The devil has got no hold on me relationally. 
The devil can't come before the Lord and protest and say, uh, can I attack Randolph because of Siri's attitude towards that one? Right? The Lord will say to him, sorry, bro. Go find somebody else. Right? Because here you won't come right in that issue. Hmm? And I'm saying, I'm seeing even uh, an indications of economic turnaround because of that. Right? I'm seeing the Lord starting to bless us in significant ways because of that position. Amen? So I want to encourage you because relational tension is an indication of carnality. And carnality, the effect is, it vexes the soul. I'll talk about now how did it brings leanness to the soul. Squashes your soul, shrinks your soul, your shrinks your soul. It erodes your power of your soul to, to to even follow the way of the Lord regarding a specific instruction. Okay, let's talk to that now. Page two. Now, what I'm going to do is just paint out the events in Numbers eleven. Please, when you get home, try and read um, large portions. Of, of Numbers 11. You know what I just realized now? I cut and paste that whole section. And um, I pasted it on, on page 4 and 5. But just stand, stay with, let's go to page 4 and 5. So that you can read the scriptures there. Let's just read these scriptures and I'll, I'll, I'll draw some reference to it. Exodus 12, verse 37 and 38 says, Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from the children. So when Israel left Egypt, there was about 600,000 men, not counting women and children. Right? I think if you count the women and children, in excess of a million people left Egypt. A lot of people to march out of a land, eh? Imagine, imagine one million plus people leaving South Africa through Pipe Bridge. <laughs> right? Exit into Zimbabwe. We flee to Zimbabwe. <laughs> okay. It was a significant number. Not so? Imagine, this must have been a phenomenon. It must have been something to behold. And they're not even leaving at six in the morning. They're leaving at pitch black midnight. This exodus is taking place, right? In the context of wailing and howling in all of Egypt as God slays the firstborn of every house where, they, where the, there was no blood on the, on the lintel, the doorpost. So the exodus happens and mighty deliverance comes to, to God's people. And here you get this, past, this verse, verse 38. A mixed multitude also, should underline the word also, Mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds, and a very large number of, of livestock. Right? The mixed multitude. Now, the word mixed indicates, as you see there, the, the, the Hebrew word is ereb. It means mixture, a mixed company, or interwoven. Interwoven. You can see how the, ver the, the word is used in Leviticus 13 verse 48. 
right at the bottom of that paragraph, it speaks about interwoven material of varying fibers. So if something is interwoven, it means there is the construct or the, the framework of something. And you get something that is attached to it. It's interwoven so that that which is interwoven becomes part of the framework. Shouldn't be there, but you got in. God delivers Israel from Egypt. So, yes, yes, Egypt leaving, Israel leaving Egypt after 430 years of Egyptian slavery. And there's this heterogeneous bunch of people. Mixed. That's why the Bible calls it mixed. Homogeneous means of the same kind. Heterogeneous means of different qualities, different kinds. A heterogeneous group of people tag along with Israel. Right? I'm not sure whether they were in Egypt or just on the outskirts. They just see these more than a million people marching. They said, hey, this looks like a good journey. This looks like a good group. Let's somehow jump on the bandwagon and start and move with these people. Right? Now, you must please remember the mixed multitude, as the Bible calls them, were responsible for I would say 90% of Israel's carnality in the wilderness. The Bible calls them the, the Bible also calls them the rabble. Look at Numbers 11 verse 4. The rabble. So the word mixed multitude and rabble mean the same thing. The rabble who were among them had what? Had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again, saying, Who will give us meat to? Who will give us meat to? To eat. Okay? Who will give us meat to eat? Now, let's read Numbers 11 on page 5, verse 31, just quickly, before we talk about this. Numbers 11, 30, 31 to 35. There went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day gathered the quail. He would gather the least, gather ten homers, and they prepared, they spread them out for themselves. Um, all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord burned or kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava. Say it with me, Kibroth Hatava. Right? The name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava. You may not just write this, it means graves. The, the, the meaning of this word is graves of lust. Graves of lust. Because they buried the people who had been greedy. From Kibroth Hatava, the people set out for Hazaroth, and they remained at they remained at Hazaroth. Now go back to page two. So we all understand where the rabble was. Now the rabble was this mixed group of people, non-Israelites, mixed cultural group, mixed ethnic group, uh, 
and they, they, they become interwoven into the fabric of the nation of Israel. They almost become part and parcel of them, yet they are alien to the culture of heaven. They are alien to the culture of the divine. They are alien to the culture of spiritual words for, want, for, for our purposes. These represent carnal people. The Bible says the rabble had greedy desires. It was the rabble, listen carefully, that incited Israel to complain to God about the manna. And they say, we loathe this manna. They, call, they even call it this manna. God, what are you giving us? They start to loathe the provision of God. This manna. Give us meat like we had in Egypt. Give us meat. And they complain, listen carefully, they murmured against God's provision. The rabble also incites, the mixed multitude, incite murmur against Moses, God's leader. Right? And they complain as to his leadership. They murmur about the way, the journey. This was a bunch of complainers. Right? But what I want to draw reference to is, the Bible says they had greedy desires. They were not satisfied with the quality of provision that God afforded them by the manna. They, they loathed or detested the manna. And the Bible says they had greedy desire and they incited Israel to complain against Moses about the quality of provision and the way in which he was and the way in which he was, he was leading them. Moses comes to the Lord, all this is Numbers 11, and he complains vehemently to the Lord. Moses actually says, take my life. I can't handle this. I die now. Take my life. He even says to God, not my people, they're your people. You, 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 you took all this group out. These are your group, sort them out. I'm out of this. This is not what I opted for. Take my life. So what does God suggest to you? Choose 70 men of the elders that you know to be elders. Let them stand there with you. And you know the story. They, they support him in leadership. The spirit on Moses is taken and transferred to the 70. So there's... There's supportive leadership in, in place. Yet this greed incited by the rabble still persists. So God says, God looks at the situation, God says, God's anger is aroused. So God said, no problem, I'll give, you a I'll give you your desire. I cause a strong wind to blow. A whole lot of quail, birds, come flogging into the camp. And they just fall where the people are at. There's such an abundance of meat now. There's meat everywhere. People stack it up. And listen carefully. It's not about provision. It's about, it's about a culture of greed to satisfy the flesh that God is looking at. So God's anger was so uh, kindled against them while the flesh was still in their teeth. They still were chewing. God sent a plague and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people die. The place where they are buried, God's God says, name it, Kibroth, Hava, Hatava. Call it the graves of lust. What does God, what does God say? God says, I want to bury the spirit of carnality in the group. Right? I want to I be. You know what? The flesh is always poised or focused upon self-indulgence, self-satisfaction. Not so. The flesh always wants to have some kind of pleasure. Uh, the Bible says Moses... In his, in his decision between Egypt versus Israel, 
He chose rather to endure affliction with the children of God, Israel, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, which only last for a moment. And there are many people in scripture like Esau who sold his birthright for one bowl of soup. You sell something precious for one for a momentary satisfaction in your flesh. You lose. And this is true all the time. Whenever you give into the flesh, you lose spiritual ground. You sacrifice something in the spirit. God looks upon the situation with how the rabble or the mixed multitude incite this lustful tendency, this lustful spirit in the camp. And God says, I cannot lead these people into inheritance. Do you remember last week how we read hosts of scripture about manifestations of the works of the flesh? And there was a constant refrain that says, they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom. You better believe the Bible. Right? If those things that we read, please I want, I want to implore you, the bunch of scriptures we read in last, session, in, in last week's session, rehearse them. Do an audit on your life. If there's anyone present in your life, you're disqualified from any kind of kingdom inheritance. Right? And God says, I want to have a massive grave. Bury the lust. Tell your neighbor, bury the lust. Right? Kibroth Hatava. Call it the graves of the graves of of lust. Now remember, food is always indicative of a philosophy or an ideology. Daniel in Babylon refused to eat the king's morsels. Dainties. Why? Food was symbolic of imbibing the culture of Babylon. So this is more than just greedy desires. There was a longing back to quality of the meat of Egypt. It was more than just a desire for, I'm feeling like a steak. It wasn't just that. This was an internal um, inclination to revert back to the philosophies, the ideologies, and the, the bondage of your former way of life that needs to be dealt with and needs to be and needs to be needs to be cut off. Right? Also, gluttony in the Bible is frowned upon generally. There was a gluttonous frenzy that took place here. Um, you see, people going wide, meat everywhere, fires, brides, and 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 there was this gluttonous indulgence in the meat. While it was still in their mouth, a plague. I don't know what kind of plague God sends. It doesn't say, but it led to the death of thousands. Gluttony, hope no gluttons among us. Gluttony is unchecked appetite. Unchecked appetite. Okay? What is interesting to me is Psalm 106's commentary on this whole thing. Here's a psalmist living way hundreds of years after the event. And you must please read the whole of Psalm 106. It, it's a good account historically of Israel's journeys and some of the experiences. Now please listen as the psalmist comments on this event in, in Numbers 11. Check what he writes. He says, verse 7, Our fathers understood not your wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of your mercies but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them 
for his namesake, that he might make his power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also. It was dried up. And so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him that hated him and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Isn't that powerful? God's redemption, his grace on his people. The waters covered the enemies. Remember the Egyptians drowned in the sea? Right? There was not one, not one left. Then verse 12, they believed his words and they sang his praise. But yes, verse 13, the sad part is they soon forgot his works. They waited not for word that it would hit their spirits. Waited not for counsel. Verse 14, yeah, it describes precisely the events of Numbers 11. They did what in the wilderness? They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and they tempted God in the desert. He gave them their request. Sent the quail. But, what was the effect on the soul? He sent leanness to their soul. They envied Moses, were jealous of Moses. They murmured against him. Also in the camp, Aaron and um, Aaron the saint of the, of the Lord. Everyone say leanness. What I want to talk about briefly is this. Wherever you have the expression of carnality, as in unbridled, unchecked, fleshly, selfish indulgence, James says that the flesh wars against the soul. Please don't forget these scriptures. Right? The flesh wars against the soul. Peter says about the soul of Lot, what he saw and heard brought torment to his soul. Always the flesh has a negative adverse effect upon the soul. In Israel's example, it says the, the obsession with the flesh in this context of Numbers 11 and the satisfaction thereof brought shrinkage or leanness to their soul. Right? Now look at the Hebrew word for soul. It's razon, which basically means thinness, skimpiness, or scant. This word comes from the word raza, which means to emaciate. Famish. The radical idea is that of abrading, scraping. Hence it means to become lean or to waste away. Leanness refers to weakness, frailty, and to a lack of a lack of, of strength. Right? The Hebrew word for lust, as you can see there, is avar, which means to covet, to be desirous, to long for, or to incline towards the thing. So um, if you look at, just look at my hands there, this was their soul, right? The, the soul shrinks. Skimpiness, scantiness, emaciation, leanness, a wasting away. Have you ever seen someone waste away physically? Right? Maybe through not eating, the muscle loses, um, what's it, viscosity? What's the word? And elasticity, density. And so, right, the person loses um, weight, gets thin, you start to see the skeletal structure. Um, it's true of when they've got a kind of wasting disease, right? Now, that is the effect on the soul, right? The soul becomes almost, and the person in the natural, in the physical, 
that is the victim of a wasting disease, um, his muscles, it, it affects his mobility, right? It affects all normal functioning of the human body. The wasting disease, the point about a wasting disease, I'll actually upgrade these notes. Please note this in your notes. The point of a wasting disease, it erodes functionality, right? So when the soul, listen carefully, when the soul is reduced, is lean, what you're doing to the soul is you are you're eroding its, its ability to function properly. It's for our purposes, particularly to function obediently to the dictates of your spirit. Right? So any kind of carnality, and like I said, carnality is a broad topic, any kind of carnality has this effect. Look at, us how, at how some other versions of the Bible frame this. He gave them their request, but he sent a wasting disease in ASP. Message, he gave them exactly what they asked for, but along with that, they got an empty heart. The Bible in basic English, he gave them their request, but a wasting disease into their souls. The CEV, he gave them what they wanted, but later, you destroy them with a horrible disease. The Amplified, he gave them the request, but he sent leanness into their soul. And this is it in the bracket, says, thin their numbers by disease and, and death. People physically died in their context, right? So numbers are reduced, right? And do you know one of the Hebrew words for wealth also indicates largeness of numbers. So they became impoverished. Okay. So um, in the middle of the note there, I just explained to you what um, the two nuances of, of Razor was leanness of the soul, this wasting degenerative state that produces skimpiness, reduces your soul's capacity to follow obediently to the dictates of your spirit. You know what it does actually? Two things. Your soul is powerless to follow the lead of your the leading of your spirit, but also it is it, it, it is helpless then and somewhat just heals to further temptations in the flesh. Right? It's pulled away from as it were the spirit domain and it, it just um, healingly submits to further fleshly vices. And so man will degenerate progressively through through time. First Corinthians ten is an interesting commentary on some of these incidences in Israel's history. First one, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, Paul says, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. All drank. Verse uh, 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. They were laid low in the wilderness. Notice they all were baptized. All ate. All drank. And there's a nevertheless. With most of them, God wasn't pleased. You can all have the same spiritual diet. It's a sad verse, this. But with most of them, God wasn't happy. This must never be said of our, our local house. These people eat regularly good stuff, good diet, good
good spiritual resource. But God says, mustn't say this of us, but most of them are not happy. Okay? Would be sad there, not so? This would be one of the most sad. It's like the verse in Jude. Jude says something similar to this. You must read Jude tonight. It's only just one chapter there. Jude says, God, after saving people, sought to destroy them. How can you, after saving, seek to destroy? It's like two don't go together. These, these two situations here are so contrary. You being nourished, you all drink, you, you all um, eat or baptize, but with most of them he is not happy. Right? For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now verse 6 is very important. These things happened as examples to us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Be not idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and they stood up to stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally. Notice how Paul describes the context. He says there was immorality here, right? That evil desires. And let me just say this. Tell your neighbor, Numbers eleven was written for you. You know what Paul says? Everything that happened to Israel was written as an example for us so that we don't follow the same evil desires that they did, he says here. Then he says in verse 8, Then, brothers, let us not act immorally, as some of them did. 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the serpent. Remember? Don't grumble. Tell never stop the complaining. Right? Murmur is a separate sort of series I want to do over four or five sessions. Murmur is a serious, serious spiritual hindrance um, in one's life. Paul, I mean, after all the things Paul Isley says, there was a spirit of grumbling or murmur in the camp that angered the Lord. The anger of the Lord was, was incited. Don't let us grumble. So grumbling is an expression of carnality. Right? You know what? Many people will walk out and say, I'm not really carnal. I can know sort of overt fleshly sins that I know I'm involved in. And you're neglecting, you're neglecting the point. Carnality is so broad, you have to check yourself. You know why? If these things are present, please take me seriously. Don't just say I'm not involved in overt sexual sin, and so these, these experiences are not mine. No self-indulgence of any kind. No, just a murmur obsession, and you're in the same boat in Numbers 11. Just a grumbling spirit, right? Complaint, complaint of the complaint, right? Um, just a covetous spirit, just a jealous spirit, right? Just a spirit of strife, and you're in the same boat as those in another. Your soul becomes lean, right? Your soul becomes lean. Nor let us grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Then verse 11, these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands, this is what I'm getting at, you think you're fine. If you think you're standing, think again. Take heed that you do not potentially, that you do not potentially fall. Here's the verse in Jude. I didn't realize I had slotted it in. Right? Jude 1 verse 5. 
I desire to remind you that though you know the things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Right? Destroyed them who would not believe. Now, let me just close off tonight by, by finishing off this issue of the rebel. Rebel sounds like what other word? But I mean in terms of uh, the, the, what do you call it? Syntax, not syntax. The sound of language sounds the same as No, no, not, not the meaning, the sound. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the word rubble. Whichever, okay. <laughs> For me, I couldn't help but think of rubble sounds like rubble. And what is rubble? Dirt. Leaves a stench in the camp. Mixed multitude. Now, it just dawned upon me. Listen carefully. Do not, let me explain in my own words. Don't follow your notes. When did the rabble join Israel? When exactly? At the Exodus. So, this is the Lord warned me when I wrote this. The, be careful what happens when you get breakthrough. Be careful what you do and how you conduct yourself at the start of your breakthrough. Because the, the mixed multitude, the rabble, joined Israel right at the inception of their deliverance. You see how, they, how crafty the enemy is. What the Lord said to me, learn how to, whenever I give you breakthrough, learn how to maintain it. Right? Contain and sustain the harvest that God is leading you into. The enemy is very, very crafty. The enemy knows Israel's got this major breakthrough. I will dilute, I will bring dilution to the camp. I will even incur the wrath of God upon them. Right? Do you know you can come into economic prosperity in one week, in one moment? And lose it in the next week, the next few months. Why? You haven't learned the principle that at the incipient stages of your breakthrough, ensure that you entrench principles in your life that will maintain the breakthrough. Do you know what provision does somehow? Provision lulls you into ease. Provision lulls you, you become complacent. When there was no provision, you were very focused. You are fasting. You will make sure you don't sin to prevent any kind of um, extension of your trial. You are focused. All your relationships were intact. And the moment breakthrough comes, guess what? Human tendency is that it comes a relaxation. That is why, listen carefully, um, it says they, they sang his praise but they soon forgot his works. Right? Israel knew the, the works of God, but Moses knew what? Moses knew the, the ways of God. I can see every time, for example, when he strikes the rock and water flows, 
can see Israel praising God. Only knowing the demonstration of God, but not, never ever learning the principles of life that govern and that will sustain the blessing in their life. And I can see, I'd like to depict this graphically, I can see Israel rejoicing at the water flowing from the rock. And I can see Moses on the side. Like he's looking at these people and saying, hey, you've made your breakthrough, but you haven't learned a thing. Right? What the Bible says about Israel, they always are in their hearts. Not knowing my ways. Hebrew says it. They always trip up because they never ever learned the lesson that the trial was designed to teach them. Hmm? And guess what? God's got time on his hands. God will simply wait and then the trial will be revisited until you learn the lesson. Okay? For me, I want to learn quickly. I don't want to say, God, okay, God, must say, okay, I'll lead you to another trial of a similar nature simply because. You haven't learned my intention designed to teach you certain things. Right? Please remember this. When, when it struck me, uh, this, this portion of the rabble I wrote a long time ago. Right? In fact, I extracted this, I cut and pasted this section of the rabble out of my teachings from relationships. We were supposed to have started a teaching on relationships, remember? Accurate, or what did I call it? Right relationships or the rightness of relationships. I said we're going to start a series, never begotten to it this year. Right? I remember doing this in Zimbabwe where Renee and them were teaching um, last year, towards the end of last year. Right? And the Lord reminded me of this. Right? The rabble attaches themselves to you at the very start of your breakthrough. So the point of your breakthrough becomes the start of your breakdown in time. Simply because you have not learned the, the lesson. Look at uh, third line, fourth line from the top of that paragraph, the rabble, towards the end of the fourth line. The rabble influence attaches itself to you at the point of your breakthrough with the intent of eroding your capacity to maintain your breakthrough. If you accommodate the mixed multitude, the inception of your breakthrough will actually signal the commencement of your breakdown. Lot tags along with Abraham as he leaves of the Chaldeans. But Abraham soon realized that Lot, with the many negative things he represents, could not be accommodated within his closest sphere of relationships and was detrimental to his ultimate destiny in God. We must be careful that our associations and the kinds of people we carry along with us in our journey Especially, we must guard against intimate alliances with people that subtly lead us astray to sin lustfully. Doubt God's providential ability as an orphan mindset would and incite us to grumble and murmur against authentic divine leadership. The rabble enticed Israel to do all of this. The, the, the point is, the point that I want to um, challenge us on here is that if you're going to overcome carnality, you better start purging your company. Purge the, the fabric of person that is called rabble, alien to the DNA of a heavenly divine culture, kingdom culture, but has interwoven him or he, herself into your world. And part and parcel to the point where they 
affect you. Right? I'll show you a bunch of scriptures, maybe on Sunday, where Paul would say to Timothy, for example, flee youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, peace, love, etc. With them that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Everyone say with them. So there's a solution to simply watch your, watch the company, right? If you're going to flee the lust, he says, flee the lust, but make sure that you're in the company of those who call upon the Lord out of a, out of a, out of a pure heart. Amen? Out of a pure heart. And so I really want to encourage you as we'll continue this. Please bring your note with you on Sunday. We'll continue this on Sunday. You can read uh, ahead so that you can come a framework in your mind and we'll just allow the Lord to speak to us. Um, but I really want to encourage us. Um, would you make a decision and say, I'm going to deal ruthlessly with carnality. It's not going to have the upper hand on me. Carnality in all of its expressions. In all of its expressions. So that we will become the kind of men and women of God that He desires for us to be. Amen.